0: Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by the return of the Golden State Warriors. They are back. They are in San Francisco. We are so hyped. This is our preview episode, our first Warriors episode of the year for the new season. Even though literally Candlestick, well, we spent most of the summer talking about all this stuff. <laughs> so, it, not a very long, not a very long break. But here it is. Uh, you can find us on uh instagram oh, i'm sorry you can find us on youtube.com slash the gold facebook.com slash the gold you can find us on apple Podcasts, stitcher wherever great podcasts are sold for free and you can find me on at rudyselise3 on instagram at rudyselise3rd on twitter and candlestick will where can they find
1: you go to twitter and go to at candlestick will
0: yes Alright, here we go. This episode is going to be pretty much focused on this new Warriors season. A lot of questions surrounding this team. I cannot wait to hear, Candlestick Will, your thoughts on where we land. Tomorrow is our season opener. The Los Angeles Clippers are coming to town, and uh, which should be a really fun, tough, little competitive first game out. But of course, before we get started, the greatest intro... In the game, let's go.
1: San Francisco, are
0: you ready? Are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my esteemed co-host, Candlestick Will. Boom! Yeah, baby. Candlestick, well, welcome back, bud. That episode last week that we did on who the greatest Bear SF coach was, I think, was fire.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it's you know, it's always fun to throw out some things that you know are kind of, kind of uh, evergreen, right? You can you can have those conversations whenever you want. Um, you know, tonight's going to be fun because it's you only get one time a year to to do a preview uh, episode about a season, um, and you know, there's a lot, obviously, a lot of questions, probably more questions than answers. Um, right now with the Warriors, but yeah, it's always fun to, to throw out some historical uh, kind of context and you know just kind of see where where the fans are at and where 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 people are at with uh, with something like that. And you know I, I think we all were pretty much on the same page as far as you know what the pecking order is at the moment. Um, and you know Bill Walsh I think is still you know the the gold standard, and uh, you know Bruce Bochy definitely deserves to be in that conversation with him and. You know, I think this this season will determine a lot towards where people put Steve Kerr, because if if he finds a way back in the playoffs and they win a couple rounds, you know, I think they'll put him on the on the mantle right there with those two. And if he doesn't make the playoffs, maybe people will start to look at Kerr, you know, with, you know, with lesser eyes. And if he somehow wins the finals again, you know, then that'll change the narrative completely, I think.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is going to be an interesting season. Obviously, we've had a lot of changes. Klay Thompson going down. Sean Livingston retired. Andre Iguodala uh, being traded. And of course, Kevin Durant in a sign and trade with Brooklyn. And we get back in return, D'Angelo Russell. So this is a really, a completely different Looking lineup, I'm looking at the lineup right here, and we've got our starting lineup is Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney, and Glenn Robinson the third. What do you think about this lineup? It really hurts not to have Clay in here. If Clay was in here, I think it would be a completely different deal. But how do you feel about this lineup going into the season? You know, where do, where do you think this team stands against the the uh, Clippers of the world, the Lakers of the world, you know, Nuggets? The uh, Trailblazers, where does where does this team rank for you? Well,
1: I I think I think it comes from two perspectives. I think when you're looking at it from a positive standpoint or an optimistic standpoint, you can start. It's very top heavy in that you still have the greatest player in the world on the team. So, you know, Steph Curry is still there. And, you know, whether you are going to give Kawhi Leonard that trophy of best player in the world right now or, or someone like Giannis, You know they very well might be the best player in the world, but Steph Curry belongs in that conversation. He's hasn't gone anywhere. His numbers have been amazing these last uh, several seasons, and he's primed to have an MVP type season this year. So you still have the a, a two time MVP who very well could win his third MVP this year. So going into the season, that's the first thing I think people need to realize is that you know the team is completely different from last year. It's way younger. It's way less experienced. It has very few players that are ready for the playoffs. You know, people are even suggesting they might not even make the playoffs. And one of the reasons they'll point to for that is simply their lack of experience, their lack of talent, Um, not only in the starting lineup with with someone like Clay Thompson out, but just the fact they just don't have the pieces like they've had in the past. Um, So that's completely different on the when you talk about the kind of the pessimistic side It's that they're going to be relying on, especially early because Klay Thompson's out, on guys who have never done it before. You know, literally rookies in guys like Poole and Pascal, but someone like Glenn Robinson who's never been asked to be on a playoff team or asked to be a contributor to a playoff team. And at least for now, he'll be starting. So, you know, that can make it very easy for someone to be pessimistic about the Warriors. But I think the very first thing you have to start with this season is – What kind of a season is Steph Curry going to have and will he play differently now that he doesn't have other players around him that are just as talented like Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant, where he can let them shine at times. He can kind of just sit back and and relax at times and he can let other guys shine the way he would try to get easy buckets for uh, Zaza or David West or, you know, or kind of defer at times. And he will have to be more of a James Harden type, more of a Russell Westbrook type where he's kind of the main, main guy in the one man show. You know, people remember the the game in Madison Square Garden where he dropped over 50 points and the Warriors lost that game. So I think Curry realized early on that, you know, you can throw 50 up, you know, at night, uh, at night and lose games. You know, Kyrie Irving did that tonight. So, you know, I think ultimately it's about wins. And so Curry knows he's going to need his teammates to shine. So the one advantage they're going to have this year is that they're going to have to force themselves to play these guys minutes they wouldn't normally play. You know, half this roster are guys that wouldn't see minutes, you know, last year if they were on the team. So that experience will help them if they're able to to win enough to where they play in in, in, towards the end of the season. And then if if and when Clay comes back, then maybe they can make a run. 100%.
0: 100%. Let me ask you this, what do you think about the additions of D'Angelo Russell and Glen Robinson the 3rd into the starting lineup? I actually thought Delo was a fantastic pickup, one of the sneakiest pickups of the offseason. Again, it's marred by the loss of Iguodala, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson. You know, had we added someone like D'Angelo Russell to that roster, it would have it just would have been another one of those shaking your head moments like, man, will this team ever stop getting better? But unfortunately, we have lost those guys, and now he's thrust into the role of basically second in command to this team. He had a pretty good year last year with Brooklyn, and now here he is, second in command to Steph Curry. Do you think that he's? Do you think he's capable of the job? And what advantages do you think D'Angelo Russell brings to the Warriors? Well, what he does is he gives them
1: someone that can instantly replace Clay's offense, and so with Clay out, that's paramount because. The Warriors are going to need Curry to average 30 a night, and they're going to need Russell to average 20 a night. Now, 50 points from two players is great, but do you get scoring from anywhere else? So I think the first thing with Russell is he's going to get his points. Um, It sounds like, from everything I've heard, is that Curry or Russell will be on the floor at all times. So even if someone like Jacob Evans gets minutes or another guard gets minutes, one of the two will be on the floor. So my guess is, is that, um, you know, you, it'll be similar to the way that, you know, De'Angelo Russell will essentially get like the Clay Thompson minutes where when the second quarter and fourth quarter start, he'll be out there, you know, as the starting point or as the, you know, as the, you know, he'll finish quarters with Curry, but he'll also, you know, sit the bench for someone like Jordan Poole or, or someone like that or Alec Burks um, during parts of the second quarter when Curry comes back to try to make sure that they spread out their, their time with them. But I, I think that that's going to be one of the, the transitions is will the rotation minutes, you know, how will they work out? Because I actually think that one of the reasons Glenn Robinson is starting is only because there's nobody else, you know, they got rid of Alfonso McKinney. I don't think they want to start Marquise Chris um, and go bigger. And, you know, Kali Stein might not, not even be healthy enough to go um, on opening night. Alec Burks, I think, is someone they felt like is a perfect fit to be that sixth man, come off the bench and score. Um, So the guy I think actually will eventually replace Robinson in the starting lineup is when they feel like Eric Pascal can start and play the three, which I don't know if he'll be able to do that offensively, but he's got a lot of of the same intangibles that Draymond has and his ability to defend – Once he feels comfortable at the NBA level of defending multiple players, I think that's when they'll see, you know, you'll see Pascal take that spot from Robinson because Robinson's the, you know, in a perfect world, he's a three and D guy where he can hit the, we can hit the corner three and he can play some defense. I don't know if he has the defense to really warrant that, you know, label. If he shows he can do that, I think he stays in the starting lineup because I think his scoring is going to be more effective than Pascal's. But I also think that Kerr saw what that team became when they went from David Lee to Draymond Green. So they're going to end up giving Pascal more minutes and more critical minutes once he shows he can do that. I don't know if he's done enough in the preseason to warrant a start yet, but I do think the team will become a better version of themselves when Pascal ends up taking over those minutes from Robinson.
0: Now here's a great question, the toughest question of all: Do we see Clay at all this year? I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to hear two thoughts from you because then I want to share mine and I want to hear what you think about it. Do we hear? Do we see Clay back this season? And if we do, what does that mean for our postseason run? And if we don't, what does that mean for our postseason run?
1: I, I think it actually all will will be dictated by where they are when they get to the all-star break because if they're clearly going to make the playoffs because and I I, the one thing I I would think is that you know because health is the, the biggest thing for any team right the Clippers looked loaded last night but if Kawhi and Paul George you know were to go down and be out the year they're a completely different team right so you lose one of your two best players you lose two of you know your top two players. We saw what happened with the Warriors when they lost Clay and, and, and Durant in the playoffs. So, you know, health is is kind of the assumed part of these what-if questions. But if Curry's healthy, then they're going to be able to make the playoffs no matter what these other guys do. Because Steph Curry is going to be able to do the same things that Harden did when he didn't have much talent in Houston, what Russell Westbrook did when he didn't have much talent in Oklahoma City. And Curry has Russell and Curry has Draymond. So he's got guys who can play. And so he's going to get them to 45, you know, 50 wins kind of by himself if nobody comes with him. If people do, they'll have a chance to really compete um, against some of the better teams. But there's enough bad teams in the East and there are enough middle of the road teams in the West. As, as loaded as the West seems to be, nope, you know, there's only maybe three or four teams, I think, that are as top heavy but deeper than the Warriors you know whether it's the Clippers the Nuggets you know the Rockets um the Lakers if they can start to put you know pull put things together but you know Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have never been better than Steph and so Steph and D'Angelo Russell are just a better you know duo than those two so I don't see someone like Portland being better than the Warriors this year even though the Portland Trailblazers have been together longer and have more chemistry and all those kind of things so all that being said, if the Warriors are in it at the All-Star break, then I think Clay Thompson comes back at some point during the regular season. I know Steve Kerr said that, you know, it would only be nine months, you know, from the surgery, and so it's unlikely that he would get a chance to play in the regular season. But I also think that there was initial, there, initially there was talk about him coming back in February or March. Now I don't see that happening regardless. But if they show that they're going to be a four or five seed, you know, or somewhere in the playoff hunt then I do think that clay Thompson will be able to get back in time. If it's, you know, if they're like a ninth or 10th seed and just the season just falling apart. Um, then I don't think clay Thompson does come back. Cause it's not worth pushing that injury. If you're not going to be playing in, um, in May and June anyway. Um, but I think if they're, if the playoffs are coming and you know, mid April is when the season ends, then he'll, he'll be back on the floor by April 1st. Um, now, Whether it's February or March, I kind of doubt that because of how short it will be from the time of the injury. But he's already taking shots with the team and doing shoot-around and and those kind of things, so I I don't see a brace on his knee. I mean, clearly he's feeling comfortable right now, and so the rehab is clearly going well. It's obviously not going so well that he'd be able to play in a few months, but I think it's going to be dictated by the the results on the floor because I think if, if they're showing that they're going to make the playoffs again, then I can't imagine that Clay Thompson doesn't get himself ready to compete in the playoffs. I, he's, I don't he's even just, think he
0: just, could just, hold him back. I think he right. <laughs> I,
1: I think he's too he's too he's too competitive, and it's um and I think he'll be healthy enough where it's not going to harm him because I I don't think he would let himself go out there when he's not ready because he's going to be smart enough at that point to know that it's not worth it damaging his career of getting a second t- torn ACL because he comes back too early. So I do think they'll definitely be careful, but if he's able to to play by April, then he's going to play if in fact the team shows signs that they're going to be able to make the playoffs.
0: So we agree. We agree. I think and here's what I think. I think I think if he does make the playoffs, I think we're let's say let's let's just go best case scenario. So best case scenario, uh, we're 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 in the hunt at at the All Star break. They decide Clay is going to come back. He comes back. He gets into the starting lineup. Let's say he gets in somewhere around you know early to mid March. Gets you know three or four weeks underneath him. Then goes into the playoffs. Depending on how well they can gel. I mean Clay's a monster. He's an excellent two way player. His defense is fantastic. It'll sorely be missed during the regular season. I think you're seeing a team that is probably maybe capable of getting to the second round. I don't know if they're capable of getting much further than that. If if they don't Now here's the thing. If they if they don't, yeah, that I if he if he doesn't come back and they go into the playoffs, I think maybe first round at the at the deepest. But even as you mentioned, most likely if he's not coming back, we're probably not even in the playoff hunt, which is why he's not coming back. Having said that though, if you want to look long-term, this is what I think happens no matter what at the end of this year. And I think this is what Warrior fans need to look forward to, is that I think no matter what, regardless of what happens with this year, I think the Warriors are looking Already, Bob Myers is already looking to re-up in the summer and add another playmaker to go for a run next year. I still don't necessarily feel like this year for them, I think, is more about getting the bench and getting all their new starters as many reps as possible. Getting D'Angelo Russell into the system and really seeing what they can pull out of him, really figuring out where the where the cap where the ceiling is for this guy, and seeing if this is somebody that could, they could see in a Warriors uniform for the next several years to come. But I really think this team is m- more than anything secretly focused towards next summer, and I think that the the, the next summer next summer when summer comes up, I would. I'm telling you, do not be surprised if you see the Warriors re-up and make some giant move like they've done almost every summer and grab somebody that we didn't even think was available.
1: Well, I, I do think that they're always going to be on the lookout to get better. You know, The fact that they got D'Angelo Russell instead of just letting the Durant contract go and then having the f- the financial freedom to kind of be flexible, that, that just proves that in the Joe Lacob era, they're – always going to do whatever it takes to be competitive every every single year so if they don't make the playoffs this year because clay never comes back and they don't they just don't play well and the west becomes more even more loaded than we than we maybe even anticipate um because if you look at the if you look at the west i mean it is a stacked uh, you know conference so you could win 45 games and not make the playoffs and so when you can have a winning record in the, in the NBA and not make the playoffs. That's, you know, that's a pretty incredible thing. Um, so because of that, it's possible they don't make the playoffs. If they don't make the playoffs in that scenario, then I could see them doing something drastic or crazy, whether it's, you know, moving D'Angelo Russell for someone even more established or whether it's finding a way to maneuver their contracts around to get somebody else. I don't know what the rules are about the hard cap that they put themselves under by getting Russell because they have to stay under the cap this year. I don't know if they have to stay under the cap next year. Um, I haven't looked into those kind of things. So if they have, and then even if that's the case, they wouldn't be able to just sign a free agent for a huge amount of money. Um, at most, if, if they're able to have some, some uh, leeway next year, if they're, if they're, if they're not under the hard cap penalty, then they'd be able to sign someone to like a mid-level the way they did DeMarcus Cousins uh, last year. So maybe they go after someone who um, is willing to take that kind of a contract um, next year and bring somebody in that's, you know, whether it's, because even there was even reports, you know, Mark Stein reported that Andre Iguodala is a virtual, you know, he the words he used was virtual lock uh, to return to the Warriors next season. Um, that once he, once he becomes a free agent, he's almost assuredly coming back to the Warriors. But if that's the case and the Warriors can only offer the mid-level, then that's who's getting the mid-level is Because Iguodala is not going to come back for the minimum if he can get more money. Um, He's always been very smart about making sure he can maximize his contracts. And uh, and that's why he's still on the Grizzlies at the moment because he's not willing to take a buyout to take less money um, to leave. So he's waiting for them to give him all his money before he, he decides to go somewhere else. And so for, for him, he might just decide to play golf all year and sit out and wait, wait till next year to come back to the Warriors.
0: Um,
1: (laughs) So um, in the meantime, you know, there's always been the rumors of the Warriors being interested in guys like uh, Giannis and uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid and, you know, any other superstar um, that might not decide to stay with the team they're currently with. Um, So anyone that's any all-star that's available, the Warriors will be interested whether they whether they're allowed to go after them financially or not will be the only um, question because it's clear that Joe Lacob will do whatever it takes um, to try to build the best team he possibly can.
0: Well, not only that, I think it's imperative. I think even from their standpoint, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week on our who's the greatest Bay area, SF SF Bay area coach thing, but. I I think they're determined to bring a championship to San Francisco, and I and I, I mean regardless of whether this was their you know their tenth year in San Francisco or their fourth, they'd be regard they'd be determined. But I think that because it's the new stadium, and I know that this is kind of a re up year, I think next year. They're all warriors are all in to uh, to bring a championship to San Francisco. I think they want to hoist that Larry O'Brien right there in the city uh, for a variety of reasons that are not just athletics, so, You know, I think financially, too, it's it's huge for them to make that kind of a to achieve at that level again, you know. Well, and they and they talked
1: when they first got the team about moving to San Francisco. So this has been a dream from day one. Uh, for them to have made this move. Everyone who's been to Chase Center says it's incredible. It's the most amazing thing they've ever seen. The scoreboard is the most ridiculous thing that, you know, that's, that's ever been created. Um, you know, it's like so when, you know, people are talking about it, it's the best experience they've ever they've ever had at a stadium. It's incredible. All, all these kind of, you know, high, um, hyperbole kind of things um, that, you know, people are just saying what inc- how incredible it is. Joe Lacob, I don't think is anywhere near as interested in that as he is about being able to put up another banner. And to, to your point, ha- being able to put up a banner in San Francisco was his initial dream. And when he came out um, that very first time with the with the crowd in Oracle and said, you know, take a look at that banner, it's very lonely. I want another one. And everyone said, what, a, you know, how could he possibly say that out loud, you know, when this team's been so bad for so long. Um, and three championships later, it's like, he's crazy enough to step on the floor the first night at chase center and say, you know, those banners, you know, still look lonely. I want another one. Um, and you know, I want one that says San Francisco. And, you know, so I I think that's his ultimate motivation. Um, I think someone like Peter Guber is, you know, his motivation is to build the most incredible park there is, you know, that's what he's done at every level and all the minor league teams he owns and, and all the different places he's been a part of. It's like the, the, that combo, they understand that it's about, you know, the game day experience, but ultimately about building a team that can win forever. Um, and, and that's what they're trying to do. And, and as long as you have Steph Curry, you still have a chance to do that.
0: I think so too. And I, I don't think this team is done. I don't think they're done by a long shot. I would be, shocked if we didn't win at least one or two more championships sometime in the next five years I really truly believe that I don't think that's hyperbole I don't think that's me just being a Warriors homer I truly believe that with the infrastructure that they have the players the coaches and ownership that they are determined and will find a way to get back to another championship and hoist at least another one or two Larry O'Brien's you do you agree
1: I, th- I think it's absolutely possible. I think one of the things that's, that's unique about basketball is how quickly you can turn a team around by simply adding, you know, just one player. I mean, look at what uh, Toronto did last year with Kawhi Leonard. Look what the Clippers are looking at now with, with Leonard and George. Um, as long as you have Steph Curry, you have a chance. Because at the end of the day, the NBA is still always going to be a team. Uh, it was always going to have teams in the playoffs that are top heavy. And the the proof of that, is essentially how shocked everybody was that the Clippers even made the playoffs last year because they didn't have anyone um, that would be labeled a superstar. And Lou Williams was their m- most talented player um, by far, and he was essentially the sixth man of the year. So the best player on the Clippers didn't even start for them. And their second best player um, last year was Montrez Harrell, who was also um, a sixth man. So, you know, when your two best players come off the bench, you're not supposed to win 48 games. Um, And so, you know, to me, that's what makes the Clippers so dangerous this season is because they're essentially bringing back the same 48-win team, but they've added to, you know, all NBA players, and including Kawhi, who's, you know, arguably the the best player in the league um, right now going. Well,
0: and I think that's a great segue into tomorrow's matchup. It is... By no means it's going to start easy for the Warriors. The Clippers are coming into town hot after last night's game. Last night's game was crazy. I'm here in Los Angeles. The bars are filled across the entire city. You are hearing screams. It's like it's a championship game. You are hearing screams from all around town. I was was watching the game. I was watching the game uh, at a bar here. I had attended a SAG event, a SAG-after event, earlier in the evening and then was there, was watching the uh, Lakers-Clippers game, and I'm telling you, it the atmosphere was insanity. You had people just going nuts left and right. Obviously very confident about this Lakers team, which we can unpack in a little bit, but I really want to focus on the Clippers. It does look like, even without Paul George, this might be the best team in the association right now. They, the, Kawhi looks like he picked up right where he left off. The level of depth on this team, the defense of the Clippers is just very, very impressive what they've built over there, and it feels a little, uh, feels like a little Warriors diet, you know, like Warriors light. Like they, they took this blueprint from us. Jerry West went over there and helped construct this, and uh, obviously not, not as on ducing in terms of you know the long ball, but a strong team with a lot of depth, a lot of defense, and good shooting. Reminds me of uh, similar to the 2015 Warriors. What are your thoughts on those Clippers who are coming into town tomorrow?
1: Well, that's, you know, we, I, we were just talking about Joe Lacob. You know, the, the worst thing he ever did was let Jerry West leave the building. 100%. Um, and uh, and this, this was the second he signed up with the Clippers. We knew this was going to happen. And Jerry West proved it from day one when he um, went in there and said the very first thing you got to do is get rid of Blake Griffin. And they said, "Wait a minute! We just signed him to a huge contract. What's why would we do that?" And he's like, "Because Blake Griffin's not going to help you win championships." And Blake Griffin was sent to Detroit. And from that moment on, it was Jerry West's vision for what this team would be. Doc Rivers stepped aside and said, "I'm just going to coach. You guys can you guys can put the the team together." And everything Jerry West has touched has been gold. I mean, even in you know even getting a guy like uh, Landry Shamet, who you know half the half the NBA fandom didn't never even heard of. And he becomes this productive player, can come off the bench and play some D and, and hit some open shots. And, you know, in, in a way of, you know, just kind of fleecing the 76ers who um, wanted Tobias Harris badly. And Jerry West knew that he didn't need Tobias Harris to, to build a championship team because Tobias Harris doesn't play much defense and yeah, he's a good shooter, but he's not a guy you build around. And so the teams that he's put together is a team that doc rivers can win with. And he knew that getting rid of those contracts, getting rid of uh, Harris and getting rid of Griffin and then making a trade for, uh, or trading Gallinari would allow him to go out and get, um, you know, two superstars and, and he's done that. So yeah, Jerry West is, is the, the greatest basketball mind in, 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 in history. And probably the greatest sports mind in sports history when it comes to not only his, um, gifts as a as a athlete himself, but then what he's been able to do building championships. Um, but as far as the the Clippers are concerned on the floor, I think the reason they they look so dominant is because they're essentially the same team as last year, but they've added you know a superstar in Kawhi Leonard. So you know you take a 48 win team and you give them a superstar, it's gonna make it um, an incredible team with chemistry. I think one of the things we saw with the Lakers last night is that they basically have 90% brand new players and even the players that are returning are in new roles so that's not easy to just suddenly become good in one game and suddenly be ha- have chemistry in one game and yes Anthony Davis can look good at times and LeBron James can look great at times but they're not going to mesh and know exactly what to do and how to do it and how to run the offense and how to run the defense um when they've only played together for a couple of weeks um, whereas doc rivers has built this team and they've played together for years now and they know exactly what to do and you could see it at the end of the game when lou williams and patrick beverly and, and montress harrell were just doing whatever they wanted and it wasn't even Kawhi leonard that had to do anything you know in, in those those last minutes and guys like lebron and anthony davis were trying to get the ball to other players and those other players didn't know what to do and it's, you know, it just, it just comes with the first game of the season, you know, kind of how that looks. I think the Lakers will be fine. Um, anytime you have two of the greatest players in the world, you have a chance to be great. Um, you look at the team, a team like the Houston Rockets last year, they started out slow and then James Harden just decided to start, you know, doing everything and they ended up making the playoffs, no problem. So, you know, that can happen in the NBA. The Clippers might be the best team in the NBA, especially when they get Paul George back but they're going to be the best team in the world right now because they have the most chemistry. Um, the warriors are going to have a tough, tough time trying to beat them because the warriors are very similar to the Lakers and that, yeah, you have Curry and you have D'Angelo Russell who are two great players, but everyone else for the most part is new outside of Draymond. So it's just going to be a completely different um, team out there. And it's going to be hard to play against a team that has so much chemistry and, and, has a player as, as good as Kawhi Leonard and trying to beat them. So um, it, it'll be a tall task. I think the most the most interesting thing about tomorrow is that it'll be the first time in five years, in, unless I'm missing something, where the Warriors weren't favored um, at home and uh, and maybe just weren't favored, period, because they've probably been favored for every single regular season and postseason game in the last five years. And I can't imagine they'd be favored tomorrow with the way the clippers look
0: no and i don't i i think it's realistic to say they're probably not going to win tomorrow's game simply because it's just they're just they're just not at full power right now they're not at full strength let me ask you this what what do you think what what do you where where do you put the warriors at the end of the year what's their what how many games what's their final record where do you think they stand in the west I, I think they, they, I think because of Steph alone, but the
1: team they have and the, the chemistry they can build with the players they do have, I can see this being a 50-win team. Like I, I think we, what we've seen with, um, Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan over, the, over the, the many years, and then when that team changed and turned over and had different players, that, you know, when you have a system that works, when you have a, a foundation that works. That you're going to win 40 plus games in the NBA because there's just there's too many teams in the NBA that just don't know how to win, and even teams that make the playoffs don't necessarily know how to win. You know, the Orlando Magic weren't a great team last year. The Detroit Pistons weren't a great team last year. So you know, it's like you can make the you know Miami Heat didn't wasn't a great team necessarily last year. They had good coaching, you know, uh, in, in those in those three cities, but you know the teams itself, the players themselves weren't you know that great and and yet they found ways to win in the nba because you're playing the suns you're playing the the grizzlies you know there are a lot of bad teams in the in the association and so you're going to pack up some wins there and i do think the warriors have too much experience winning and their best players have won too much to not let that carry into this year so i think they can win 50 games i think the what's crazy about the west is that I think that the Rockets can win, you know, 50 or more. I think that the Nuggets can win 50 or more. I think the Clippers can win 50 or more. The Lakers can win 50 or more. Portland can win 50 or more. And so, you know, that's just, you know, that's five teams right there. So they could, the Warriors could win close to 50 games and be a six seed easily um, because those five teams could happen to all win more games. I haven't even mentioned Utah. I haven't mentioned San Antonio, who San Antonio, you know, Won won a lot of games last year with even though they had a lot of injuries and those guys are healthy now. So you know it it's going to be one of those things where if the Warriors slip or the Warriors have a tough you know few weeks, then they're going to be struggling to make the playoffs. Because on top of every team I just mentioned, you've got the Minnesota Timberwolves who just just beat the Nets in overtime because Carl um, Anthony Towns hit seven threes. So if he's going to start making seven out of 11 threes every night then that's a whole different team. Um, you know, you've got a team like Dallas who has, you know, Luka Doncic and Porzingis. If they both stay healthy, then that could be a, a, a dangerous team at times. And then you've got the Sacramento Kings who might be the the youngest, most exciting team in all of, in all of basketball. Um, so, you know, all those teams are going to be dangerous and all could be potentially, you know, 41-plus f- win teams. So even... Even though the Warriors have the talent to win 50, they're going to have to face all of those teams multiple times. And, you know, in six to eight weeks when Zion Williamson comes back, you know, if he ends up being the next great rookie um, next to LeBron, um, you know, to have a, an amazing rookie year, then, you know, once he comes back, he'll be that much more tough to face. I think the Warriors played the Pelicans a couple times early, so they might miss uh, Zion um, a couple times. So that'll be nice um to avoid that as far as you're trying to find wins um but uh but he, but then they'll be good once he comes back so you know the west is completely loaded and uh, and so that's going to that's going to make it tougher um to win games because they'll have to bring it a little bit more in the regular season than they're used to
0: yeah definitely i i'm kind of leaning in the same boat you are i'm i'm thinking somewhere between a 6 and an 8 seed I don't think they missed the playoffs. I think the team is too good. I think the like you said the infrastructure, the coaching, Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, I think that that alone is enough to keep us there. Of course, I mean how can we forget Draymond Green? That that's I think that's more than enough to get us into the post. Now, does that transfer into a deep run? I'm pretty doubtful this year. I really think I would be happy with even a second round appearance would be great. But even even without that, I'm more than happy. Over the last five years, I am kind of looking towards next year as far as a championship run. But we are diehard fans, so we watch these teams through thick, and, through thick and thin. Regardless, up, down, left or right, we continue to watch them. So I will definitely be watching the team no matter what, and and uh, supporting the Warriors with their first year here in San Francisco. I want to touch a couple things before we leave. What did you think about Michael Jordan's comments about uh, Steph Curry? Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, maybe you've been paying too much attention to football, but Jordan said that Steph Curry is not a Hall of Famer, that he's a very good player, but hasn't earned being a Hall of Famer yet. And he said uh, this was part, I'm paraphrasing, but partly due to the fact that he um, hasn't really been able to carry the load of the team fully by himself in the way Jordan had in the past, or LeBron's done in the past, Kobe uh, arguably, arguably has done in the past. And so there, he was saying that he, he hasn't quite shown a couple of pieces of criteria that Jordan believes he feels necessary for him to be considered in the Hall of Fame. I guess five championship appearances, three rings, two back-to-back MVPs, the first unanimous of all time, the greatest three-point shooter of all time. I guess that's not enough for Michael Jordan. Um, But is it enough for you, Candlestick? Well, what did you think about those comments?
1: I think that the uh, general manager who thought Kwame Brown and Adam Morrison were franchise players needs to uh, realize that he's not very good at player analysis.
0: (laughs) Touche. Yeah, um, I, I really thought it was pretty asinine. And it was definitely one of those moments where I almost didn't even want to comment on it, but I just have to say something on here because we have this platform and a lot of people listen to us and I want to defend our players because I feel like more often than not in this decade, San Francisco is constantly defending itself against everybody. Like, for you know, like we're not, you, you know, this, the Giants aren't a dynasty, but the Warriors count as a dynasty, but they're only a mini dynasty and, and they, they had Kevin Durant. So that's not fair. I, I mean, as if... As if teams haven't been stacking the deck in basketball since the beginning of basketball, and as if this is the first team to ever go on a run, you know, it's just ridiculous. Or that the Giants aren't a dynasty, because you, as you mentioned, I think, before we started recording, you know, going to—they you know, they kind of talk about the Giants winning three World Series as if it was an accident, as if you can just accidentally win three World Series, you know, you just get lucky three three years out of five. You know, it just seems like we're always having to defend— our teams and it really annoys the hell out of me and the the Steph Curry thing you know about not being able to you know he hasn't carried the load the way some other players had I, I don't understand what this criteria means so, so so is he trying to tell me that every single hall of famer that's ever played the game that's all they've ever done is that like the one unifying aspect is that every single every single hall of famer that's in the hall right now for the NBA is able to carry their teams and has been able to carry the load by themselves the way Jordan did because Last time I checked, that's literally not a qualifying factor. I'm not saying it isn't a contributing factor, but it's not a qualifying factor. And and if that were the case, then we would have, you know, I would say 80% of the NBA would not be in the hall. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think, first of all, I think Michael Jordan doesn't know what he's talking about as much as we uh, probably agree. Um, I mean, I certainly feel like Michael Jordan's the greatest player to ever play. Um, 100%. I I also think that that doesn't give him any it doesn't give is there's no reason to suggest that that makes him a good talent evaluator. And so, you know, there's Jerry West and there's everybody else. Right? We you know, Jerry West is the greatest talent evaluator of all time and one of the 10 or 15 greatest players of all time. So he he he's the logo for a reason. And you know, the you know, Michael Jordan is not only the greatest basketball player to ever live in my opinion, but the way he was marketed by Nike and the Jordan brand that he has is second none as far as business is concerned. So, I mean, he's got so many different legacies that it's, you know, he has nothing to prove. I I do think that if we want to talk about, you know, analysis, I genuinely think that the comments he's making about Curry To me, what my first thought when I heard that after I thought, well, that's just wrong, is that he must have some inherent fear that not just LeBron, but that's LeBron and Steph are going to be looked at as the two greatest players to ever play the game and take away some of what Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson and Larry Larry Bird created, Um, because the league had a lot of stars before them, but the league was still running tape-delayed finals, you know, before they came in, and uh-huh. Michael and Magic Bird and, and Michael Jordan changed the game forever, you know. Those three and, and David Stern turned the game from a sport that happened to be played to a global, you know, thing that everyone needed to see. Um, so there's nothing, there's no, there's no denying the impact those three had on the game. But every, with every generation you know, you have new fans who say their guy's the greatest, right? We had, we saw it with Kobe and Shaq and Tim Duncan, and we're seeing it now with LeBron and Steph and, and Kevin Durant are in the, are in the conversation now, you know, are all these different outlets are coming out with, you know, top hundred lists and whatever, top 50 lists and whatever. And Steph Curry's all of a sudden top 10 to some people. Um, Kevin Durant's in the top 15, you know, for, for people. And I got to imagine there must be some kind of fear, that their legacy is going to get, you know, put pushed aside because the same way that Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Russell have been pushed aside for, you know, Shaq and Akeem Olajuwon and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and every other great center that's come along, you know, here comes these, these upstarts, you know, here comes these young guys who are taking, you know, taking them off the list or pushing them down the list. You know, how many people in the last 10 years have tried to say LeBron's better than Michael Jordan, right? So we've heard that conversation forever. And while I do think LeBron is now right there in the conversation, people were saying it years before it was warranted. Um, is, is Steph Curry the greatest player ever? No. Um, does he belong in the conversation? Maybe not yet, but he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. It's insane to think that you, someone like Isaiah Thomas, who has, two, who has two championships and you know no MVPs, is a f- first ballot, no doubt, Hall of Fame point guard, and Steph Curry isn't. Right. Like so the the idea that Steph Curry is not a Hall of Famer, it's like the only way that makes sense is if he was just talking about how literally he's not a Hall of Famer because he's still playing in the league. Like that's the only way that conversation <laughs> makes any sense. Right. Yeah. So. So, again, I again, I, I, I do take it for a grain of salt because it's like, you know, when Scottie Pippen says that the you know, nineties bulls would have beaten the warriors. It's like, yeah, of course he's going to say that he was on the nineties bulls.
0: Mm -hmm. Like,
1: you know, if Dennis Rodman says that he thinks the bulls would win, it's like, I would hope he would, he was on that team. I would think he would, you know, like his own team a a decent amount. So I I don't put a lot of stock into those kind of things, but I do find it interesting that he would say something that seems so outlandish, but it's like, maybe it's because he's starting to, you know, hear people say that, you know, Curry belongs in those conversations as because of the way he's revolutionized the game and changed the game, the three point shots become the new dunk, right? When you say that sentence, well, who, who basically made the dunk a thing? You know, Dr. J started it, but Michael Jordan revolutionized it, right? So in that, in that pecking order, it's like Reggie Miller and Ray Allen, you know, kind of started the three point shot, but it was, you know, Steph Curry that revolutionized and changed the game. And so, if Steph Curry's being talked about the same way that Jordan was being talked about as someone who revolutionized the game, then maybe he's saying to himself, like, me knocking Curry on this is actually me trying to remind people that I'm the greatest, and it's not Curry. Which, yeah, he's trying you know, to protect his I, legacy. I I I agree with him on that. I do think Jordan's better than Curry. That's that there's. I don't think anyone's saying that Curry's better, but I also think that it's interesting that he would be so like dismissive of um, of the idea that Curry's not a Hall of Famer yet, you know, because it wasn't like he was acting like Curry was bad. Right. He was saying Curry was a great player. He just didn't feel he was a Hall of Famer yet. And it's like, well, what do you mean yet? Because literally or yet because you actually think he needs to prove more before he's a Hall of Famer, because I don't know how many Hall of Famers in, in the current structure have two MVPs and three championships.
0: Well, and first unanimous greatest three-point shooter of all time, revolutionized the game. I mean, the list goes on, and he's not even done yet.
1: Right. Well, and again, yeah. we're we're so we're so quick in sports, and even, even the, the 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 um podcast we did with you know Steve Kerr. My question started with something where the the guy's been a, a coach for five years, so the idea that someone who's only been doing it for five years, no matter how much success he's had. Um, would be in the same conversation as um, guys like Walsh and Bochi who are two of the greatest ever in their sport, um, does seem like, wait a minute, slow down. And, you know, my initial question was, if Kerr won a fourth one, do you put him in the conversation with those two guys, or even ahead because of how much he's done in such little time? But it's also a reminder it's such little time. It's only been five years. You know, Curry's been playing for 10 years you know, Jordan didn't play that much longer than that, um, you know, than 10 years. Um, he actually had a, a shorter career, but, you know, it's like Curry hasn't done what, what, um, what, uh, what Jordan's done. What I do find interesting though, is that Curry's won three championships. And when Jordan won three half championships, they were about the same age. So Curry's chances of winning three more got diminished with someone like Kevin Durant leaving. But, you You know, he's around the same age that Jordan was when he had when he only had three championships. So it's definitely conceivable that since Curry's still in the middle of his prime, that he very well could, you know, give, you know, give Jordan's uh, six titles a run for their money. A lot of things would have to go right for something like that to happen. But, you know, maybe that's another reason that Jordan is, is saying the things that he's saying.
0: Yeah, the, the the I guess the fact of the matter is we'll never know, but we all know it's asinine, and we all know Steph Curry will be in the hall. So but uh, but that was your <laughs> 100%. Uh I love it. Last but very not least and then we're going to jump off. This has been a great episode. Uh Houston Astros just getting doused. 12 runs by the Nats tonight. 12 runs. We're recording this podcast Wednesday, October 23rd. It's 9.30 p.m. And the Astros have been, were destroyed. Verlander destroyed. I can't believe this team is up 2-0.
1: Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander getting shelled is exactly what we all thought was going (laughs) to (laughs) happen. Like, I mean, really, like. I mean, not only were they like statistically the two best pitchers in baseball this year, but Garrett Cole was putting up historic numbers this entire season and And going into the going into the post. He was going into the series. He was unstoppable. Well, and and I had I had made a uh, I had sent out a tweet um, after his last start where I compared his numbers to Bumgarner's because they were actually comparable. That Bumgarner's, you know, I put Bumgarner's entire 2014 postseason. And then I put Garrett Cole's entire 2019 postseason. And there were were some spots where not only was Garrett Cole, um, you know, right there with him, but there were some stats where he was way better than him, Um, you know, at at that point. He hadn't thrown as many innings yet, but his numbers were incredible. And and those numbers don't look as good as they did Um, now after the five runs, um, he, he gave up, but, you know, it just goes to show how incredible Bumgarner really was and how crazy difficult it is to continue to do it night in and night out in the postseason.
0: Oh, yeah. Again, Bumgarner doesn't get nearly enough respect for what he did, especially in 2014, as we mentioned before, my personal favorite World Series. This has been a historic run by the Nats. They've already, they defeated the Dodgers, so now I want them to win the whole thing and as much as I'd like to see Houston uh, win it, I would way prefer a National League team to close it out, especially the one that beat the Dodgers. And as you said before we started recording, this once again, if the Astros goes down, it proves how difficult it is to win more than one World Series, let alone three and five.
1: Well, here, it, we, we got we got a couple minutes. So I'm going to pull up what I sent out um earlier this year because or I think it was just yesterday or whatever but the the number of dynasties the number of teams that even have won back-to-back championships is so small in baseball history I believe the number was 14 that of teams that had won back-to-back but it's it's insane just how few times it's even happened in baseball in the long history I mean and then half of those times was the Yankees you know what I mean yep. it's like the the number of 1920s times that, run that the number of times that it's even happened um, to any to for anyone else where they've won multiple multiple or three and five or three and four or anything like that was, was so small that it's just um, it just proves that not only is it hard for a team like the Astros to win multiple championships, but just that, you know, winning any championship is is, is difficult. But winning multiple is, you know, almost impossible in, in, in this sport and in every um, sense of the sport, uh, especially now with, with with so many teams, because when there were 16 teams, then it was a lot, it happened a lot more frequently. Once it was 30 teams, it's it's almost never happened again. So it's just, it's just unbelievable. Um, And, uh, and the one, the one thing I was enjoying about it, um, the most when I was looking up all the numbers is that the the Dodgers um, were not included in, <laughs> in 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 there anywhere because they've never won back to back and so I just thought that was awesome.
0: That is awesome. So what what is the numbers? Do you have them up front? Do you have what the total um, yeah, numbers I'm, are? Yeah, I'm
1: I'm pulling them up right now. But the uh, but I, I, I said it's like you know there's the the you know the A's did it a couple times. Yeah. The the Reds the Reds did it in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, where they won a few, you know, the giants obviously, but like, that's it. Like, that's pretty much it. And it's, it's crazy. Um, cause you know, you look at, um, the, the Yankees winning in, uh, in 96 and then winning 98 through 2000. It's the last time anyone's ever won back to back, you know, it's, it, and it's not going to happen this year. Cause neither one of these teams won last year because the Red Sox won. So it's just unbelievable how rare it is to even just win two in a row. Um. And then the number of dynasties is just is is almost you know almost nothing, especially if you take if you consider if you pull out the the Yankees. Um,
0: I I tend to tweet a lot, so I'm. Taking, <laughs> That's all right. It's it's, it's it's taking me a minute. You but, know, I mean, w- uh, go ahead. Uh, you know, I was gonna say something. Our boy, uh, Irish Niner fan, a very 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 big fan of the podcast. He's. Not he's one of several. Andy Laird has said the same thing too. Another one of our overseas fans that, that that talks to us a lot. Both of these guys have talked about how because of this podcast they they root for the Warriors and they also root for the Giants. Uh, Irish Niner fan, my boy, my boy, boy Mark, he said that he got that he he bought the MLB the Show 2019 and he the Giants are his team and he's playing it because of our podcast, which I like I think is great. We've actually been you know we've always been known as a 49ers-centric podcast, but just all of our Warriors-Giants talk has been converting a lot of people, and especially our overseas fans, which is really gratifying to hear. And I love hearing that from guys like Andy and Mark and saying, hey, we're playing the video games. I'm watching all the games. I mean, these guys have been—they were following the Warriors religiously all through um, last year's run. And a lot of it came from the conversations we've been having. So it's nice to know that we are contributing and expanding Bay Area fans' uh, consciousness when it comes to these other teams because the Niners aren't the only great team, man. These The Giants and Warriors have had historic runs this decade. It's been fantastic. And I really feel like if you're listening to this podcast and you're only following us because of the 49ers, well, A, we thank you for your subscribership, but B, do not let go of the other two teams sitting in San Francisco because the, this has been an incredible run. And when we go into the offseason, the 49ers, we will be doing our gold dives again. We'll be bringing those back after the season. And we will be diving into some of these historic games that these teams have played and really doing deep dives. And I can't wait, Candlestick Will, with all of your history and knowledge, I can't wait to bring you into the gold dives because I think we're going to have a lot of fun unpacking some of these games.
1: All oh, right, and the, the other thing is that we're absolutely going to be doing some gold dives on the the Giants and Warriors too, because that that's that's got to happen as well. Oh hell yeah! Um, so here so here's the breakdown. I, I I have to include this because it's just it's really just shows how how hard baseball has always been. But if you look at it, so here's here, this is the list of back to back World Series champs: the 1907-08 Cubs, the 10-11 A's, the 15-16 Red Sox, the 21-22 Giants, the 27-28 Yankees the the 29, 30 A's, the 36, to 39 Yankees and the 49 to 53 Yankees. So those, that was when there were only like 16 teams and, you know, it was a lot easier to have loaded teams, you know, and to win back to back years, you didn't have to win as many games or win or beat as many teams. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's eight, that's eight times in the first, you know, 50 years of the world series. Then there was expansion. The Yankees won back to back in 61-62. The A's won three straight, 72-74, and the Reds won back to back in 75 and 76. Then we had another expansion. The Yankees won in 77-78, and then the A's won in 92-93. We had our last expansion um, after that, and the Yankees won in 98-99 and 2000. And we haven't had back to back winners since then. So since the first expansion to expand teams from 16 uh, to 20. There've only been three, four. There've only been six, six other times that we've had back to back, and only once since the last expansion with the Rockies and Diamondbacks and um, and uh, Devil Rays and Marlins. So it's been 19 years since we've had back to back, and we're and this year won't happen either. Even if the Astros win, it'll only be two of three. Um, if the Nationals win, it'll be their first time in in, in franchise history. Um, so it'll be at least 20 years before the next back-to-back, and that would be assuming that the Astros or Nationals win next year. Um, but if you look at the number of times that somebody has has had a, a dynasty, um, it's the. Let's see, let me see. Here we go. So here's here's the MLB dynasties basically. the ni- The 1910 to 1913 A's won three times. The 1915 to 1918 Red Sox won three times. The 36 to 43 Yankees won six times. The 42 to 46 Cardinals won three times. The 47 to 62 Yankees won 10 times. The 72 through 74 A's won three straight. 96 to 2000 Yankees won four times. And then the Giants won three in, from 2010 to 2014. So only eight times has a team won three World Series in a five-year span.
0: And um, I wrote all those teams down. You've got the Yanks three times. The mm-hmm. A's, twice, A's twice, Cards once, Red Sox once, Giants. So you only you it. only have one, two, three, four, five teams. Five teams that have actually have succeeded at uh, a dynasty. Five teams. Right. I, how we're not a dynasty is a ridiculous argument. Well, no, we
1: we we're people. absolutely a dynasty because it never ever happens.
0: Yeah, it, and, it never happens. Know, the, that's
1: y- it. And the Yankees the Yankees won twenty times in forty years. There was a stretch of 40 years where they won 20 of the championships. That'll never happen again with them. And never. so, and so that'll never happen again. I had a crazy conversation on Twitter back and forth with someone who was insisting that the Patriots had a, a better, had the greatest, you know, um, run ever in these last 19 years. And it's like, yeah, the Patriots are amazing, um, but you know, they've won six times in 19 years, which is pretty much the same as what the Spurs have done in the last 20 years, which they've won five. So it's not that much different. And it is better because football is harder than basketball to win championships, but it's not that much different, but to win 20 in 40 years, I don't care what the other reasons are, you know, even if there was only like seven teams, um, but it's like That's to win 20 year tom- for
0: two straight decades
1: for four, for four, right. 20 and 40 it, and four. I mean, it was four. Right. It, was, it was, it was, it was three. It was basically three Tom Brady's. It was Ruth, then DiMaggio, then Mantle. <laughs> So they went through three Brady's, right? You know, the, the Niners' amazing run was two Brady's, right? It was Montana and Young.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if you compare it, and we've done this before on the Gold Cast, if you compare the Patriots' run to five versus the 49ers' run to five, it's not even a comparison. Not even close. Like he might be able to argue because they got six, and that puts them with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you cannot argue that their run to five was was even remotely as dominant as the Forty Nine ers. We did it with two different coaches, two different quarterbacks, and in way less time, and we never lost the Super Bowl on the way to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean the the only thing that they they have two things on the the Niners. They have one more championship, and they have more Super Bowl appearances. Right? Those are the t- the two things they have. They don't have. They don't have time cause they it took them longer. Um, they've, and the Niners were just as successful for 20 years. Um, so it's not like, even though they only won five, the, the, um, the run of success went beyond 95. Um, so the, the number from it was 81 to like 98 or something like that, that the Niners were great. So, um, you know, that, uh, that era is just as, as strong, but that's why I'm that's why I'm saying like the Yankees have the greatest run in sports history to win 20 and 40. Um, but if you take the Yankees out, it's hardly ever happened in baseball ever. Right. It's happened yeah. a bunch of times with the Yankees. But if you take the Yankees out, it's almost never happened for anyone. Um, yeah. So it, it just shows how much more uh, special the Giants uh, three championships really are. Um, and, and the Astros are proving it. The Astros are just putting more fuel to the fire than the giants with the giants. It was amazing because the Astros aren't going to, aren't likely to win this time because they've already lost twice. Um, not that that's impossible to come back from, but they've lost two home games. So the odds are way against them. Now, if they do win great for them, that there'll be two championships in three years, which is incredible. And it's also very rare to win two championships in three years. Cause it hardly ever happens. Um, but then they'll need to win another one at some point to be considered a dynasty. And that's going to be hard because there are a lot of other good teams. We, we love to bag on the Dodgers on this podcast, but the Dodgers have been really good for seven years now. And one of these years, they might finally break whatever curse they set for themselves in 1989, which I don't know what that is. Um, it's just <laughs> an awesome, it's an awesome curse, but I don't know, you know, it's I, don't a great know curse. What, I don't know what, what started it. Um, but the, uh, But, you know, but they're an amazing team. And so and so are these up and coming twins and these up and coming A's and these up and coming Rays. And if any of those teams decide to start spending money, they're going to be all very scary teams. Um, If they continue to be cheap, then, you know, they'll they'll be one shot in the arm and they'll they'll go back down. You know, the Astros stopped spending money for a few years, got a bunch of draft picks hit on all of them, you know, with Correa and Bregman and all these guys. Um, And then they started spending money. And that's why they've won championships because they went out and bought, you know, even, even though it was a trade, they essentially were willing to pay Verlander's contract, um, to keep him um, here. And then they went out and got Garrett Cole knowing he'd be expensive. Um, so, you know, these teams that, uh, that went the cheap route that went, when it was time to go out and find players and buy players, they did, you know, the Cubs shed a bunch of payroll and then they went out and bought a bunch of guys, um, but bought guys that were better fit for, for a championship run. So, you know, these these teams that we're, are willing to spend they're they're going to stay good for a long time. And that's what makes baseball so difficult. Um, it's why teams like the Angels with the greatest player in the world, Mike Trout, you know, barely ever make the playoffs because it's really, really hard to make the playoffs in baseball. And it just all goes back to how incredible it is that Bochy and the Giants did what they did.
0: 100% man I love it I love it how every time you and I are on we always end up having these conversations these are these are my favorite conversations I have on the gold cast all right we will see you we will be back tomorrow night with a preview of the 49ers and Carolina Panthers Raymond will be back on the show where we will be previewing that show and then uh kennel stick well you and I will be back later on next week to just recap the Warriors first week First week in the uh, first week back. So we'll, we'll sit here and we'll talk about everything that happened and what our thoughts are and what we're seeing and what we think this team can do to stay competitive. Be on the lookout for that. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suiza III. And with me is my esteemed co-host. Candlestick Will. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time same gold cast channel
1: this is is the gold
0: cast